gentlemen, after much ado, and uh, the Bridging Podcast is back, we are excited and gracious for your patience. And when I say we, I always must introduce my brothers in this thing, Dr. Ajamu Loving, Ph.D. of Loving Consultant, LLC, and Destrian Wells of D. Wells Consulting, LLC. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are y'all doing this evening? Man, doing great. Nice nice to talk to you. It's always a pleasure. Outstanding, man. Great, great. Um, but as, uh, you know, if you are a new listener, if you are a returning listener, as always, we thank you for your support. Uh, make sure you're following us on all our social media at Brethren Pod on Instagram. That's B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N. That's bread like brethren because we always talking about our bread and we always getting bread. Um, but if you uh, if you listen to us before you listen to any other previous episodes and if you haven't, go back and uh, do yourself a favor. But um, most people are aware that we have our lives. That we are all husbands, fathers, uh, business owners, business uh people and life comes at us you know people have anniversaries obligations engagements and things of that nature so we take extended breaks between episodes it's not intentional it's definitely not you know warranted like we we don't like doing it but sometimes it happens but we are always glad to be back in the presence of each other and sharing what we share between ourselves with you all and everybody else so we thank you for continuously supporting us but in usual brethren fashion we're going to get back to what we do best. And we'll go around the table and, you know what I'm saying, introduce what we're sipping on this evening when we get into this conversation. Oh, okay. Well, um, I was. I think you got a photo of my uh, my decision. And uh, I, I, this this round, I, I took my talents to do say cognac on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a major decision. You'll see it if you look at Instagram and I made it. I took my talents to do say. So that's that's that. Let's see. Make sure you're following the Bridgen Podcast on Instagram. That's B R E A D R E N P O D. Uh Destrian Wills, uh for those new and old <laughs> I don't know, you just came off an anniversary, uh-huh. happy belated anniversary to you and my sister, but uh, uh I mean maybe, maybe you pulled out, you know, something slightly different. Slightly, slightly. Mm-hmm. In in indulged. Yeah, it's slightly, slightly, you know, uh, being that it is a, you know, a special occasion, anniversary weekend or what uh-huh. have you, and coming back to the people, um, I am finishing off the uh, the white henny. So okay. uh, I, I poured off the white henny on the rocks to sift through this conversation as we uh, do what we do and, and, and share knowledge and break bread with our people. I feel like we need some some air horns and some uh, somebody lick a shot for the boy. Went to the Well, what you um, got, AJ? What you got over there? Well, are you we know, Woodford? I, I are we am, Johnny? Where, where where we at? You know, I'm I'm proud of my selection this evening. You all have uh have 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 been made aware of this, and I I saved it, I stretched it so that I could have it for this next time that we recorded the Bridging Podcast, because this is a very special bottle. I am drinking Uncle Nearest 1856 Premium mm. Whiskey, 100 proof. Oh. Now, for those of you who mm. do not know who Uncle Nearest is, was, or what it is, Uncle Nearest was the black man who taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey and is just now getting the credit that he deserves 
and some are crediting him with the process, I think, of the charcoal filtering. I think that is that is one of the things that they credit him with, or either it's the charred oak barrels. One of those two things, or maybe both, are what they actually attribute to him besides the process of, you know, making whiskey, which gives, you know, Jack Daniels and Tennessee whiskey its distinct flavor from other whiskeys. So, uh, but he's a black man, a, a, a former slave. And uh, this is actually a black-owned business. The CEO is a black woman, Fawn Weaver. Y'all look her up. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm proud to be drinking this because it's you know if you look around, we got some people that are invested in some. You know, you got some celebrities and some uh, rich folk who are invested in brands that are already you know established. But this is actually a new brand of liquor. It's been about seven to ten years in the making, and it's black-owned. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be drinking it this evening and sharing it with you all. So if you can find it in your uh, local place of worship, it's on the nearest. But how is it? You know, it is it is quite literally. And I'm and I, I, I had high expectations for it and it met mm-hmm. them. It is hey, it's one of the it's it's 100 proof that I mentioned that I will mention that again. It's, yeah, oh, it's 100 proof. But man, when I tell you, it's one of the it's one of the most amazing experiences that I've had mouth wise in a long time. Oh my God! <laughs> all right, <laughs> you know that's not how most people would say it. But all right, now, listen, now oh. it's a cornucopia of flavor and experience in your mouth. Jesus Christ! Oh, Craig Matt said, "Here comes a brand new flavor in your ear." This one, okay, all right, mm. all right, uh-huh. man. Can you stop? Let's 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 start let's start the show. And yeah. So, uh, when we talk about cheers to the conversation, knowledge being dropped, lessons <laughs> being learned. Welcome back to the Bridger Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Ain't nothing different. It's still the same the thing. Show. Hey, oh, well. it might be here early. Cheers, gentlemen. All right. Cheers, cheers to you, brothers. All right. Well, just coats and suits like Pepto Bismol, but in a good way. So, 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 I didn't know we was gonna have to go get him or not. Like, I didn't no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. I was just, I was just indulging in that experience. I'm telling you, man. Oh, okay. Listen, I, I, I got to get it. Doc, uh, if you go on their website, you can. Uh, there's a there's a locator that tells you where it's where it's actually sold near you. I, you know, I, the odd thing about it is I typed the address. In, I mean, typed in my address. And the closest liquor store that had it was literally next door to my job, like in the same building as my job. And I was like, "It's definitely a setup. It's a setup. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It's a setup." But ladies and gentlemen, let's get to uh, the people, baby. Let's get into this conversation that we are bringing to you this evening. We uh we we had some discussion offline, and we decided that we would make this conversation about microaggressions and the parallels of political correctness uh, in your personal and your work life. Now, if you don't know, you won't know. The second season, we chose to take a more personal approach versus the first season where we, we, we talked a lot about life and the work, uh, you know, in your, in your place, of, place, of, place of work or place of business. Uh, but this this season, we're trying to focus a little bit more on the personal side of things. Uh, but we still talk a little bit about work life. But we talking about microaggressions and political correctness. And I'm going to throw it to you, Dr. Lovin, because you always give us such a, a wonderful rundown and outline of, you know, where we're heading with the conversation and what possible topics we may hit. Okay. Well, it, it, this is this one right here, I think, is uh, is 
an important one on a number of different levels, right? And so I, I was hoping that we could cover the, the uh, you know, yeah, both the personal and the professional experiences that we have with making sure that we are communicating in a way that uh, that is effective and and not not destructive to both your uh, professional life and or your uh, personal life. And so, uh, yeah, we're talking about navigating the world of, of politi- political correctness in a way, you know, and how we have to uh, communicate. And so the, the, the rundown, as you were, of, of the uh, topics, number one, hey, making sure not to say the wrong thing. And I know that can be tough. And then number two, making sure you still say what needs to be said even though you're, you know, actively working not to, you know, say certain things, right? And then addressing when other people say the wrong thing. And then uh, number four, maintaining balance in professional friendly relationships. And then number five, I thought this one was fun, but extraordinarily important and timely now uh, with regard to social media and work. And and again, I, I said, hey, this might be something that could be its own topic, but social media and work, um, and how you balance uh, some of the personal aspects of social media, um, but also uh, the the fact that once it's out there, it's out there. And so, hey, what happens now in terms of ramifications can can impact what you're doing at work or if you have a job at all. Okay, so it, it really this whole conversation is, I guess, in a lot of ways about conversation and how we can. Um, we can talk to one another uh, effectively um, and and making sure, I guess, with the first topic, not to say the wrong thing. And I think the first thing I think about is, all right, when I'm saying something to someone, whether it's in a, in a corporate environment or in a personal environment, I think when I'm operating at my best, I'm usually thinking about how I would feel if they said that same thing to me or about me or with regard to my people or um, according that level of respect or disrespect to what I do. All of these things. I think if you think about what it is that you um, how you would feel if this if you were experiencing certain things and I think it makes it easier for you to be a little bit more empathetic and you're talking and and then you're communicating and that makes it less likely for you to, you know, step on toes unnecessarily. Okay. Um, so that's sort of what I think on that one. Any thoughts, gents? Go ahead, DJ. You had something you wanted to add to it? Certainly, man. From my perspective, I think that, um, this is an important topic for many of the same reasons that Dr. Lovin expressed. But I also think that we have to um, we have to really understand that when we talk about microaggression, we're talking about things that are inherent in us, and is it, these are habits that we don't often see or focus on. It's the way we make people feel relative to what we say or what we do, and it's the behavioral uh, psychology of the of the situation or or the uh, circumstance that's being evaluated. I can walk into a place of business and tell you good morning and not be welcoming at all and it not mean anything to you. So I think this is a very important conversation to have because there are things that we do 
often that we don't know that could be off-putting to others or sending the wrong messages. And as we talk about um, matriculating through life, business, relationships, or whatever it is, we want to make sure that we talked about this before, but the impact and the intention align. So, you know, we can we can intend for something to, to come off a certain way, but we need to make sure that the impact is, is, uh, is relatively uh, aligned with the intention. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. I think Dr. Levin has laid out a great framework for it, and I'm happy to get into it and uh, get this, uh, this conversation going. Now, one thing I want to point out, um, and I want to just bring to the table is, especially in this day and age that we're in right now, this time period that we're in, uh, when the term microaggression comes up, it's oftentimes associated with the workplace, and it's often, oftentimes associated uh, with uh, with the race conversation or racism. Not you know, not to be you know specifically racism, but with the race conversation because it's oftentimes in the context between coworkers who are of different uh, cultural or ethnic backgrounds and the microaggressions that occur between the two of those. So I wanted to you know throw it to you all in that framework uh, in terms of microaggressions and political correctness because one of the points I'm not sure if Doc mentioned it or not, but we I know we mentioned it amongst ourselves was uh, that balance of work and friendship uh, because as as we all know, especially those who, or those of us who work, when you work with people and you work, you know, d depending on the environment, um, and it's oftentimes easy to become friendly uh, it, it, it helps for a healthy work environment anyway to be friendly, to be uh, to be comrades with your coworkers, um, and you know. So once that once that happens, um, it has to. Once that happens, it there are oftentimes unless you know things are so 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 aligned as if you know y'all are the same person. Political correctness will play a role in the balance of your friendship and your work relationship. But I want to throw that point to you all and let y'all elaborate a little bit on it. DJ, I'm going to throw it back to you first uh, to give your take on it. Thank you. I appreciate it. So relative to what you're speaking about, this is this is a concrete area where I think you discern whether you have a friend, an associate, or a colleague, or you know, when you want to put those barriers up around what those things mean, because your level of comfort is going to speak volumes about how in-depth you go with a person around a subject matter as sensitive as this. And one of the one of the key key attributes and key things that I think needs to be discussed is simple relationships. If if you want to get beyond a point where those things that you just spoke about in terms of race and and things of that nature or inconsequential, which is a huge uh, thing to surmount, it's important that you develop relationships with your colleagues and your constituents that allow you to have honest conversation. Many times, I don't think that people of color in the workplace can have honest conversation because you're operating from a place of groupthink or you're operating from a place where there's a lot of homogeneous thought. And that takes a serious toll on you because 
the opportunities that you have to shed light on situations, they become drowned out by fear or concern of being perceived as a, I don't know, pro-black person. Um, a con- uh, if, if you're not conservative, uh, you're, you're too liberal or you're not uh, conservative enough or you're not liberal enough, you can be a moderate and you can still, you know, come under scrutiny. I personally think that the one of the key solutions that we have to get into this space is when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we talk about bringing your whole self to work. You know, it's long been taboo to talk about politics, race, and religion in the workplace. But I think that's been a shelter for people for far too long. It's being talked about anyway. I think that you need to teach people more tolerance or grace and acceptance to say that, you know what, we can agree to disagree around your political position, but the fact that you're a great husband, a great father, a great mother, um, a great wife, a great employee, um, a great sister, a great advocate, mentor, I can relate to you on those levels. We're not getting to know each other on the levels that truly matter. And we're taking these political parties and these affiliations, and we're defining ourselves and our relationships based on those things. That's to our detriment because that has nothing to do with the person. Case in point, and I'll, I'll close quickly so that Dr. Loving can uh, weigh in. Contingent upon your income bracket, black, white, or indifferent, your policy needs are going to be different because your tax bracket will dictate to you what those needs need to look like. Your family is going to come first. And while you may want to contribute to the greater good, and you should, you're going to think about your family in context of that. So if you're making $500 plus $1,000 a year or more, you're going to be a little bit more fiscally conservative as it relates to tax policy. And that's simply because it affects your house. It doesn't mean that you care less about someone. And so for my, uh, my African-American constituents out there, I would urge you to understand policy as it relates to, to, to tax brackets and not necessarily label a brother or sister a sellout because they have more conservative views than you. That may be because it impacts their family in a different way. Consequently, those same uh, brothers and sisters who are experiencing economic um, growth and um, acceleration, they also have a responsibility to have a voice for those that are less fortunate. So it's a give and take situation. It is a uh, it is a is a mutual beneficial situation where we can matriculate through the economic reins of society without forgetting where we come from, but also realizing where we are. We have to make different decisions. So with that, you know, I'll pause there and I'll I'll, I'll turn to Dr. Lover. Yeah, you know, this, this is this is tough, man. In a lot of ways, when you start talking about politics, um, <laughs> it was difficult. I remember back, you know, I remember my first sort of political uh, 
questioning of my mom um and then i want to say i was probably probably like seven something like that i don't know it was a long time ago and i uh and i was asking her who she was gonna vote for and she said you don't ask a person who they gonna vote for and i you know she people didn't talk about their politics as you know as much then as they do now so i can understand what uh, what you're uh, talking about in terms of the tolerance and everything like that as a as a way to cope for the fact that there's just so much more information that we have about people and their um, political beliefs and thoughts as compared to what they used to be before the advent of social media. Um, the, you know, I think the, the point of sensitivity here is that you can have um, political disagreement and and I think even keep it in a safe place of, okay, well, we just agree to disagree when you talk about things that are maybe strictly financial or, you know, those types of discussions. Um, when you start to talk about the social issues, that's where people really tend to um, to get some sensitivity. And I think in a lot of ways, I think James Baldwin alluded to this, flat out said it when he said, was talking about, you know, political disagreement. And he talked about how, you know, when a political disagreement centers around whether or not you treat me like a human being um, or I have the same rights as, you know, as, as a normal human being, then, you know, they cease to be. Um, you know, just political disagreements and then start to be conversations about you know, life or death in, in many cases, in, in, in many, many cases. And so um, you've got to have a little bit of understanding about how, I guess, how um, how deeply held some of these beliefs are and then what sometimes your allegiance or um, cooperation with certain groups says about you you know people tend to think the worst of the intentions of, of folks and out groups and i don't think I, I don't think that's as you said before like the the best most constructive way to uh to work around things i feel like if you know I, actually this was from church you know we should make <laughs> we should try to make uh positive assumptions about the intentions of other people, even though, you know, the action might not have been been great and maybe we can we can move forward. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. I'm just saying that um, it may help people be able to be honest about what it is that they uh, feel in terms of their politics at the same time, uh, be able to comfortably talk with someone who vehemently disagrees with them on a fundamental level. And, and I think maybe everybody can start to understand one another a little bit better. And I think that's important to do um, because the days of people just uh, closeting, for lack of a better word, their um, their political affiliations and their political thoughts, I don't know, it's kind of over. That people, uh, it, it seems like we've reached a time where people tend to have to make a stand and sort of say what they believe on things <laughs> you know either that or just get out of the conversation all the way but you just you, you know it's it's not an easy time when it comes to uh to expressing your thoughts politically right because people get offended man people feel like you're you're calling them a racist or putting down their their particular group or you know i don't even know how you 
be a comedian like um and, and try to talk about differences in people and and do it in a way that that's tasteful it's not an easy thing to do you know so, so like, <laughs> it's, hate, not, I, it's just not the easiest time you know what i mean i hate to interrupt you but doc you bring up a good point about um we talked about political correctness, and one of the key words in that phrase is politi- political politics. Um, and now, oftentimes, we we look at political discourse as an automatic. Um, I don't even know what the word is like. If you don't agree on politics, then all isn't isn't all all bets are off at that point. It's like oh. Well, if I choose this side and you are not aligned with me, we automatically cannot collaborate or communicate further from this point on. And I was listening to T.I.'s new podcast, Expeditiously, um, and him and Killer Mike were on, and they were recently on the Revolt Summit uh, on a panel, and they had Candace Owens on. I don't know if – I'm pretty sure – I know y'all are familiar with who Candace Owens is. She's a very uh, conservative black woman. Yeah, I saw that. uh, Trump supporter. Um, but you know, I, and I, I, I didn't watch any of the, any of it. I didn't see anything. I saw the small clip that that's been going around where she, she, she obviously, it seems as though she's made an absurd statement, which isn't far-fetched, uh, trying to explain her point of view or something. And T.I. strongly disagreed with it, um, and brought notice to it. But in the, in the conversation that him and Killer Mike were having on the podcast with just them on, Killer Mike brought up a good point. It was, as far as us as black people, we, you know, that, that political correctness, that political discourse immediately breaks us apart and that, that in itself holds back progress. Where it's, you know, the point he was making is we all have to sit down and we all have to listen to each other, whether we agree or not, the basic human aspect of listening and understanding we do not have to agree. We can we can all sing together, but we cannot all talk at the same time. Well, so that that goes back to that goes back to the way in which you know a, a, a culture or civilization was given to you on this land. So if you really think about what's occurring. When you speak about that, you're talking about a group of people who are willing to adopt the ideology. And we don't have to argue with each other. We're going to either say, hey, this is the ideology or what have you. If you adopt that, you don't argue with me. You are either for it or against it. And it's an ideology. And what happens or what has happened in the course of history is that you can have a um and, and and this is me just being really authentic, right? So you can have a um a, a Caucasian American person living in a trailer park making thirty thousand dollars or less a year feel the same way as a millionaire does that looks like them. Because from a structural standpoint, it's within the purview of this person to get to that place. It doesn't matter where they are today, right? And so that's one of the things 
that as a people, I think we have struggled with because when you don't know who you are, when you don't know where you truly come from, your your entire heritage, and it's being washed away in history books and textbooks in, in uh, elementary schools, you face a situation where how do you have one core purpose or what, how do you have this value that people invest in and buy into? You said so I think, you have a conversation and you let the conversation unfold. Just how we, we all, all three of us come, we are three different people, uh, but we have a common goal in mind, which is to have meaningful conversation and release it to the world. We don't always agree on everything, but the fact of the matter is we give each other the time, we give each other the respect, and mm -hmm. we give each other the admiration that, that requires us to be able to, you know, do what we do. And that in itself gets a lot accomplished. But in, in terms of what we're talking about when we're talking about microaggressions of political correctness, is at the onset of somebody not agreeing with you or not having the same... Uh, thought process or same exact ideals as you the average person or they would have you to believe will automatically and unequivocally tell you I don't you know what I'm saying it that that's where the line stops it's like oh you oh you this like we can right. have everything we could have everything in the world in common <laughs> right. but if I'm a Democrat and as soon as I find mm -hmm. that you're a Republican I'm immediately turned off at the fact of even communicating with you from that point on and then I shut it down and, based and, on and that. that's that's the crux of what I'm talking about because we we don't dig deeper to understand am I buying into uh this, a monolith, this idea. Into mm -hmm. a monolith of, of certain things, just like you said, there are, lot, there are a lot of black Republicans who are aligned with the Republicans based solely on fiscal economic, and economic and policy responsibility. But exactly. When it comes to every other thing, we social all programs, social, social programs, justice, nature, exactly. we all agree, and that's that was that's that you know that's that that's part of the you know the system, well, the political system of you know giving labels to things and placing everybody into a box that's why me personally i have not, i don't i i did not register with the party i so, I neither do i by the way and and, it, and and this is the first time in my life that you know as part of being in this political process because of course i'm black i'm from the south and you know we were you know <laughs> that, just like being raised that you know wherever you were raised religiously that's what you were raised politically like i was raised a democrat everybody around me was democrat you wouldn't dare be a republican it was just frowned upon but as i've grown older i've looked i've looked into it and then you learn things like you know that the gop the grand old party the republicans with the party of lincoln who you know so-called freed the slaves but they were also you know there was a flip in a turn of history where they became them and them became they the, the exactly. donkey was the elephant, and the elephant was the donkey. But and you that, gotta know that. Point, but and, and that's the thing. No, it's not besides the point. It is the no, point. I mean, it, it, it's the it's the point, but it's not the it's not the it's not the greater point of what we're talking about. Right. Because aside from all of that, if I was to take bits and pieces of every single political quote unquote political party that was, you can't label me. But based on the system in place they would they would force me to label or so they would make you think or you could be like me and you could be I'm not a part of a party but I will take my demands and my my ideals and I will mm -hmm. align them with whoever I feel aligns with that the most and any disagreements that comes with our ideologies I will make my grievances known and we'll go from there 
But like, right. like, like we said, once 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 there's a, once there's an automatically dis, uh, automatic discrepancy, that's what most people immediately shut down communication uh, in all forms. It, like people lose friends over elections and things of that nature and just conversation. Oh, but in terms of microaggression and political correctness, because that's the main point of this conversation we have tonight. Because it doesn't, political correctness and microaggression doesn't always come to politics. But microaggressions, and, and and you know, especially in the workplace, is that microaggression comes where you you know you walk by a coworker's desk. This is not from personal experience, but I know it's happening in the workplace. Uh, where you walk by a person's <laughs> desk and you see a Trump 2020 sticker. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that in itself is a form of microaggression because you are basing the monolith of what is being portrayed to that one person. Now, granted, they might not, but if you have a conversation with that person, you might find out, hey, I only support Trump because of, you know, whatever reason. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but then you also find out that person does not support any of the racist or racist rhetorics or, you know, obscene things that he said or done. But, you know, I'm just using that as an example because we're talking in current It's a great example. At this point in time, I can't really, you know, see myself fully engaging with people who support that at this point. But I am still always open-minded and willing enough to have some form of conversation and communication to understand. Because if we don't, that's when more trouble comes. And that's what a lot of people have to understand. When you immediately shut things down because of political correctness and microaggressions, progress comes to a complete and utter halt. It's just like traffic in the morning, and I know most people, you know, have have decent commutes. I've talked to a couple of my friends lately, and from from my from my you know small census and survey, it takes about thirty to forty five minutes for the average person to get to work, and you know that that's what it should take, but. If somebody is pulled over to the side of the road with their hazard lights on, that automatically is going to add 10 to 15 minutes to mm-hmm. your uh, to your to your journey. Why? Because people are slowing down, looking, trying to Taking find out look. what's going on. Right. Rubbernecking, as they call it. Now, if it's a bad accident, add 40 minutes to an hour. So yeah. that that you know, I, I that 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 analogy is kind of far fetched, but you know, Uncle Nearest told me to tell y'all. But it's you know. <laughs> You got your you got your normal commute and you got your normal your your normal ideology your way of doing things you got your route that you go to work and if somebody does not you know if somebody does not align with that oftentimes now we derailed how long we derail depends on whether you know how soon we can open back up the lines of communication and progress well take take just take for example the uh the the analogy that you just used and I'll take that and, and I'll give it to, to you and the listeners, right? So you're talking about a system that is supposed to work together to allow everyone to get what it is they desire from it. So we have a highway system that's supposed to allow us to get to work effectively and what have you. What happens when someone infringes on that or errors or... um has an, uh, an infraction that's legal, illegal, what have you, it causes a delay in the system. That is no different than the political system and the landscape of life that, that we live in today. Um, I would say that the, the biggest system that we're facing right now in terms of information is, is social media. So the, the, the rate at which information is uh, disseminated and absorbed 
has been greatly accelerated. So prior to anyone being able to do their due diligence and do those things that you just said, have a conversation with a person, get to know this person, get to understand what their ideology might be, where they may have some gaps or some flexibility, none of that takes place. You, you, you get the information, you process it, and you make a decision, and it's real time. And that that does not allow you the benefit of the due diligence process. One of the things that um, technology has done to us is that we stop talking to each other and we start relying on the data. The human element is supremely important when you're talking about political correctness and and things of that nature, because I don't know your heart if I don't talk to you. We can disagree on some really serious things, but fundamentally, we can believe the same thing. We could have the same destination and decide that we're going to take a different course of uh, of action or a different pathway to get there. But you could be an ally to me because we literally have the same objective. But if I look at your um, your political party, your affiliation, your religious affiliation, so on and so forth, we could have a falling now that really doesn't have anything to do with our goals or objectives. So I think we have to frame things appropriately. We need to understand things appropriately, and we have to take the data for what it is, but we need to engage in the human element. And we're not doing that nearly enough in business in life or relationships. We're not. Everything is data driven. But is this person a so great I, fit? So I got a I got a question I want to pose and Doc I'm gonna throw it to you real quick. Uh before I give y'all this uh I'm gonna give you the definition of microaggression. It's a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral or behavioral or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights and insults toward any group, particularly culturally marginalized groups. That's the definition of microaggression for those who want to know exactly what it is. Now, here's the, the, the point and the, the scenario that I want to bring up that I want you all to, uh, to you know, discuss is in the workplace specifically, and we can take it to personal. Personal might go towards the after show when we start talking about married life, <laughs> married microaggressions. <laughs> but uh, in the workplace, let's say there's a microaggression that is happening. I, you know, there's the coworker who always wants to talk slang with you because you are black. Everybody may not have experienced that before. I have. You mm -hmm. all may have, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, the white boy who's, you know, <laughs> now he, he, you know, he's, 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 he's not, he's never been around black people really in, in, in that let's, sense. Let's but be sure to he always wants, white, yeah, but he always wants to call you "What's up, homeboy" and stuff like that. And you can mm -hmm. tell that it's not coming from a genuine place. It's him. Uh, it's a microaggression because it, it's. But then if you have the conversation with him, you may understand that he's not be doing it in a negative or derogatory way. He's just trying to relate based on the small amount of 
knowledge that he has when it comes to black people. But that point never comes because the microaggression ceases communication. Now, the point that I also want to bring up and I want you all to talk about is there are a lot of us, especially uh, POCs in the workplace, people of color in the workplace, where we have a bank where we store microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And as they happen, we don't say or do anything about them. We are ducks to water. We let it roll off our backs. We see it. We notch it in. We deposit it into that bank, but we do not withdraw our emotions at that mm -hmm. point in time. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Now, and I also bring up this point because you know where I'm going with this. I, you know, I, I know what that means because y'all know what I'm talking about. Do you do you risk becoming the person who always has a problem, the HR person, who every time somebody says, and then now you've alienated yourself because everybody's like, well, dang, I can't say nothing to DJ because everything is taken out of context. It's a microaggression. He assumes that I'm this type of person because I said something a certain way, and now everybody's mm -hmm. walking on eggshells and pin needles around you. Or do you selectively call them out when they're egregious, and then what is egregious? And if it's egregious, oh, wow. is it considered a microaggression? Wow. Dr. Levin, Dr. Levin what you want to do with this? You know, I, I think this is it's tough. Let's, 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 let's conversate. Converse. Yeah, I, have you know what I, mean? I, don't care so what, I don't care which one is the right word. Let's go. <clears throat> I, I think for so long, the scales would tip the other way where all certain folks did was swallow indignity and, you know, and dealt with both macro and micro aggressions all the time, right? And and we're not just, uh, would be openly mocked about their presence in certain companies being indicative of affirmative action and all the rest of this type of stuff. So people have, have suffered some direct indignities and things being said. Uh, and uh, I think things, at least in the work place have progressed to where obviously those um, blatant negative things, you know, will get you caught, will always get you called into a, uh, human resources and rightfully so. And I think uh, now much more so than they have been, um, people are having to watch what they say and keep their uh, language um, professional in order to keep from getting themselves put, put in a bad situation based on you know based on their own doing and their own talking but i'm just saying still you know now folks are having to learn i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing right there are folks who who've been playing it fast and loose in a lot of ways and doing real harm to people and 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 it's uh it's changed and i think that's a good thing at the same time um, you know anything that you're vigilant about some people can be hyper vigilant about it and you depending on how um, how sensitive you are to the things that people say and what your particular pressure points are um, you can definitely feel like people are, are coming at you in the workplace and I think some people may feel like people are coming at them even when they aren't or you know from genuine places of ignorance or all the rest of these things I, you know I like to give people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their motives I think that's a healthy thing to do I think it is healthy in a number of ways 
But one of them is it allows you to still have the conversation with the person. Now, that doesn't mean that you trust them and invite them over to your house and let them read your diary or anything like that. But it does mean that you can maintain professional relationships with people that you don't necessarily have a lot of um, agreement with on social or political or or whatever. And I think that's a I think that's a skill to be had. Right. I think I wish it was a skill that more of our politicians had where they could disagree, um, have large real um, political disagreement about the tactics that you're going to use um, legislatively or whatever, but still respect one another and then be able to compromise because now you can still converse with one another instead of saying, I can't, I don't talk to that group at all. Well, if we're going to make progress, then you're going to need to be able to talk with people who you disagree with. That's the only way to make it work. And so um, you need to be able to do that at work. We need to be able to do that um, in terms of uh, what's going on politically. And to a certain extent, you know, um, I think even socially, socially you have to be, you know, permissible, permissive in terms of certain things with your friends. They might not have um, everything figured out the way that you do, and they may need, still have some growing to do, and they can still be a friend. But on the other side of that, like I think you you do have the right to draw your lines as well, too. You do have your, the right to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to be very close to people who hold certain types of beliefs that marginalize me. I think that's a fair thing to do. That's a fair line to draw. I think it's a very fair thing to do to recognize when somebody is saying things on the job that might be, um, you know, if not bordering on racism, blatantly racist or, you know, saying things that are harming um, you or or coworkers or creating a corrosive work environment. Guess what? You ought to uh, speak up and say something um, about those uh, about those people and about those words and about those things and stand up for what you believe is right. So I think there's, as with anything, there's balance, there's being able to, um, you know, to still, even though you have people who you oppose or disagree with, to still respect them as as, uh, individuals and recognize that people are more important than things. And all of your political thoughts and political discourse, those are all things, man. And so yes. that right it's not the easiest thing to do, but it you know, that's the way I govern myself. So. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first time tuning in, Doctor Lovin has just said the magical phrase that is dropped in every single episode. If you don't believe me, go back and listen to every single one of them. People are more important than things, people over things. I you know what? I we gotta start adding some kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse bell ringing fiasco every time that that, that phrase is dropped it, it, it got to be we got to point that out because it's it's amazing to me how that literally just glides itself into the conversation and it is always relevant it's never canned and placed into there and you know to, to to be cheesy or to be corny it's always on time it's always poignant to the point being made and it's people are more important than things man dj go ahead and you know you 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 you, you want to bring up your piece of it I mean, Dr. Lovin always always killed it, and then I'm left over here with uh, skeletons. However, 
the, the big deal for me in this space is, is, is simple. We cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of the main thing. And I think that oftentimes we allow news, social media, what have you, to move our focus from the main thing. Politics, in my opinion, just mine, it's the art of delaying the decision until it no longer matters. So why am I waiting for you to make a decision for me when it will not matter? So I need, I need action now. In order to do that, you have to have a conversation with people who don't agree with you because you need them to understand, not agree. And, 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 and hear me clearly. I need you to understand my position. I don't need you to agree with it. I simply need you to understand. Because if I can soften your heart when you're going to the table with your constituents, maybe, just maybe, you hear my voice at that table. And if you don't, so be it. But I did my part. We do not engage enough. And we allow politics to play out because we have decided that being hands off is better than you know, being misquoted or misconstrued or what have you. You need to hold people accountable. You misquote me, that's defamation of character. Don't, don't do it. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and I'm going to mean it. But you're not going to get to misconstrue my words. So I think that we have to stop avoiding the conversation and similar to what Dr. Loving expressed is we have to get to a place where we move beyond the conversation into action. And what that looks like for um, for us as a group of people, I honestly, I, I thought I knew, but I don't know. Because we are so disjointed politically and what we think politics are, like agreement Politics is not about agreement. Politics is a deal. What deal can we strike to get the most uh, benefit for the most number of people who are on our side? We don't play politics appropriately. We play politics based on who agrees with us. And that's, that's checkers. Other people play politics based on chess. They say, okay, I may not agree with everything you're saying, but I think we have the same goal. How do we get there? You know how we do it? We exploit the holes in the African-American community. We, um, we export their culture. We do cultural appropriation. We, we do all these things where they fight with each other and they never really understand that is not even is not even having an enemy. It's simply getting out of your own way and understanding that politics is bigger than agreement. It's about getting an understanding. And I think that's the crux of the issue that we face. We don't have to agree to move forward. We just need to have an understanding. So that's number one. Number two is this. When when you walk into a, uh, a a workplace or any environment where you may be the representation of the culture for people that look like you, 
unbeknownst to you, you now have assumed a responsibility. Fair or unfair, just or unjust, it is your responsibility to understand the representation that you have. And you have the ability on a one-on-one -on -one basis or what have you to change the hearts and minds of people about the narrative by which people that look like you uh, portray. So if I show up at an event and I show my ass, unbeknownst to me, I'm, a, I'm impacting and I'm affecting both of you. It doesn't matter if I feel like I am. If I'm big enough, I'm a, I'm impacting you. And, you know, we can look at the recent, uh, the recent things with Antonio Brown or whatever. I won't even comment on his um, civil case, but just the, the nature by which he's gone about his business. That is not the type of activity that I would recommend to a young black man trying to be successful in any arena of business. It's not, it's not repeatable. It's, it's, it's not. And I know that a lot of people, and I've seen it on social media, they, they tout it. Hey, great. He was able to call his uh, employer a racial slur and he got traded to a better team. Like everything worked out for him. That's called an anomaly. If you walk into your job tomorrow and you decide that you're going to drop a racial slur on your employer, you're going to be fired. And you go home with nothing. Essentially, he's about to go home with nothing. And it is a, a sure sign of the superstructure that is in place to make sure that you are put in place when you do not acquiesce to certain things. How do you overcome that? You have to align with your culture and you have to have some type of group movement around economics and you have to do it in a way that is not necessarily politically correct, but is agreeable to the demographic for which you are attempting to serve. He only has himself. He loses and he hurts the culture in reference to Antonio uh, Brown, that is. So when you pose that question to me and you ask me, what do, what do you see? What do you think? What are your thoughts on what Dr. Loving is saying? I agree concretely, but I think that we're in a space where it's supremely dangerous to see some people get away with things that other people would never be able to get away with that look like you. And that's politics as well. That's also putting an image and a story in front of you where the few of you who think that you can do this, please go ahead. You're only going to impact, adversely impact your demographic, your community, your culture. We can't take L's. We are entering into a space where we need seasons with the S, seasons of consecutive wins. We need black and brown people to be doing the right thing from a political perspective. 
in office, out of office, and we need them to come together and we need them to find an understanding. Forget agreement. Find some level of understanding that you can push for. I think one of the things that people always often uh, associate with the, the term of uh, when you uh, when you say aligning, I think people uh, may associate that with meaning you have to become a psychopath with someone that you may otherwise consider an enemy, uh, not a, <laughs> consider an enemy based solely on the fact that you all do not agree on one particular point on the agenda. There's 15 mm -hmm. items on your agenda. You all run down that list and 14 out of 15 items you agree on, but one, that's your linchpin. And I think that is one of the, that is that in itself is a linchpin where it's like, it's it's one thing to hold true to yourself and your ideas and your beliefs, but if that uh, steadfastness is hindering progression, you know, there, you know, that, that's not to say not to have your uh, non-negotiables in place. Everybody needs to have their non-negotiables and their boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially in terms of microaggressions and, and the, the, the question and scenario that I, that I brought up of, you know, when do you bring up, when do you address the microaggression? When do you let it slide? Do you let it slide at all? Do you always bring it up? Or do you not want to risk becoming the HR nightmare, the person who is avoided like the plague because people don't want to interact with you? Because now you've isolated yourself. And now you are, you know, you are a loner, not by choice, but by force because of your steadfastness to your agenda, your ideals, and things of that nature. Um, but I want to I wanna start... Uh, winding and rapping and going to the after show because this conversation is you know of, of course because it's the topic is microaggressions and political correctness uh, it's 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 been a very political based conversation not in terms of we talking policies and politics and things but politics was heavy in this conversation but I want to take something into the after show um, Jamel Hill and that's all I'm gonna say mm. um, I will I will. I will address it in the in the in the context that I'm talking about in the after show. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you haven't already, make sure you tune into the after show. It's where we become truly unfiltered, and we we become ourselves, and we pour ourselves more drink. Uh, and Uncle Nearest will <laughs> definitely speak more to me in the after show. Uh, I have gentlemen. a feeling that Uncle Nearest is gonna rear his head. <laughs> hey, and we shall see. So uh, I'm going to throw it to you all to make your closing remarks as far as the, the main show goes, and then we'll take it into the after show. Uh, but Dr. Lovin, I'll throw it to you, then DJ, you pick it up, and then I'll close it out. All right. So um, I think that we've, uh, because of technology, we are interacting with one another and with one another's um <laughs> Uh, one of one another's most deeply held beliefs more frequently than than we ever have before, right? And so to to say that you like uh, a person or are cool with a person, there's just far more things that you can know about a person now just because we just put so much out there um, in comparison to what we put 
put out there before. And I think that it's important to um, to recognize where it is that you are trying to go and the life that you are trying to have. And this is especially for the uh, for the professional side of things. Right. And the the way in which you want to communicate so that you can um, be productive and moving towards where it is that you want to go. Right. So the conversations that you have, the image that you put out there, um, even the image that you put out on social media is all consistent with what it is that you're trying to trying to do. And so, um, you know, being intentional about where you want to go, you know, that intention and impact thing. But it, it, it's important here, too. It's like, OK, think about what it is that you um, that you want to be the end of what you're talking about. And then think about the audience that you're talking to. Right. And then from there, start to. Um, think about what it is if I were in that place I would want said to me or not want said to me in terms of um, what it is that you're trying to communicate and still get your message across right and so there's a little bit more preparation that goes into things but the preparation is so that you can get the payoff in the end and the payoff in the end is being able to productively communicate with people who disagree with you, right? Or um, being able to productively lead your life in terms of uh, social interaction and, and move, um, you know, closer to whatever your goals are and work with people who can who can help you do that and, and, and encourage you in certain ways and make your life more positive in general, right? That's what we're looking for. And so um, you want to be intentional about what you're doing for your part of that overall situation. And so in terms of interacting with people who are who are going who are coming against you, who are extraordinarily politically incorrect or wrong, obviously, the mode of correction is going to um, to a certain degree fit how egregious the particular um, incident was. And and I think that especially when you're in a professional environment, you know, obviously you don't want to be um, a person who's who's nitpicky about certain uh, certain things. But at the same time, if you need to and you have a person that's troublesome, make sure that you're documenting everything, even if you're not reporting all the time, still be documenting if there are some things that you know are egregious you do not have to put up with that and you know that's what lawyers and lawsuits are there for and so <clears throat> you know I, I think about this the way I think about almost everything is like um, it's planning um, and, and it's execution and so you see what you see what's out there you see the landscape that's out there right and the people who who are out there who can be extraordinarily good uh, friends and resources, but, you know, in certain situations can also be uh, people who um, who, who uh, stifle progress if you aren't careful. And so especially for the people who are in management, you have to watch out for those those team members who have that type of uh, the type of speech or that type of uh, create that type of environment where it's just nothing but strife around. And so, you know, there's 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 something to making sure that uh, you you do think about what it is that you say and how others are receiving it, and then also 
you, you watch the environment especially, um, and we're all responsible for the environments around us, and we all have different tools that we can use at different times um, to let people know, hey, man, certain types of certain types of things are just, you know, or so. behavior, speech, these things are just not, it's not something that's going to be, um, that's going to be looked at favorably by me, right? You don't have to be a part of the people who were saying, you know, who were, who were harassing a person, or, you know, making an individual feel bullied and all the rest of that. You can, you can stand up and have your say as well. So I guess my whole point here is that your speech, your social media, all of these things that are your outward projection, say things about you, be intentional about what it is that you that you want to say, and then be empathetic as you can and think about how others um, are going to receive it. Um, because, it, you know, it, it really is about if people are more important th- than things, right, and the message you're given, while it's very important, you have to recognize that, it's not going to be effective if it's not received in the right way or in the intended way by the receiver. And if you just throwing it out there in a way that's careless, right? So, um, it, it, you know, there's people that are more important than things deal fits, even when we're talking about communication and the, in the importance of the message, right? So just, uh, just, uh, be intentional. That's all I have. Yeah, bro. So, I really appreciate Dr. Lovin's uh, closing remarks and I would concur with them. And a lot of things I have to say is just going to be reiteration. But for me, it comes down to a, a couple of things. What, what messages are you sending either intentionally or unintentionally? And I think that we need to understand that we're responsible for both. Even if it's not your fault, it's still your problem. So even if you are unintentionally sending messages of microaggression to your coworkers, to your spouse, to your friends, to whomever, even if it's not your fault, it's still your problem. And we need to understand that and own that. That's critically important that we do that. The second piece of this is you, you pose the question, you know, when do you address these things? If someone is being egregious, you absolutely address that with them immediately because it's up to you, even from a standpoint of um, corporate protocol, most situations can't even advance beyond a simple uh, HR infraction until you have made it known that you're uncomfortable with the behavior. That then creates a hostile work environment. So if someone is being aggressive towards you or or doing whatever in the workplace, you're absolutely well within your rights to report that, and you should. It, and you shouldn't have any fear about being, quote, unquote, that person or what have you. If you feel compelled and moved to report it, it's likely a behavior that's probably a little bit more aggressive than you even think it is, and it could have merits that go far beyond what you see today. Um, The other thing I would say, AJ, is we need to get to a place where we stop looking for people to co-sign and agree with us. Life is not about agreement. Life is about how do you navigate basic understanding. 
we can disagree, we can become strategic partners, we can disagree, and we could be enemies. It could be either or. But if we can mutually benefit each other, we need to find some way of understanding what it is we can contribute to each other. And if my politics don't align with yours, it's okay to pose the question why. And you may find out that that why is very small. And if it's a big enough why, then you agree or you understand that, you know what, I'm just not going to be able to do business or have a friendship or a relationship with said person. But at least understand why. We go into so many situations where we don't even have the why. And we're moving on what we think. And we have to change that narrative. We have to make better decisions. And we have to understand these things. Now, finally, I would say that this is for everyone, uh, our African-American listeners, our Caucasian listeners, um, whomever, whatever demographic you're from, not to alienate our Hispanic people, Asian people, what have you. We all need to be more intentional about being inclusive because it's going to be the collective genius of the group that gets us out of this bull that we're in right now. And until we tap into that, politics will continue to be a problem. Um, idea generation and, and, and education, all these things will continue to be a problem that we are collectively facing as a country and we're trying to find individual solutions. The collective genius of the group is what's going to get us out of this BS. And in order to truly make America great, I won't even say again, but to make America great, we finally need to harness and tap into the collective genius of all those that are here. And we need to use our best and brightest to do that. That has no uh, ethnicity, that has no gender on it. It's about saving ourselves because we're at a place where we're behind and we're lagging the rest of the, uh, the industrial and civilized uh, world. We have to make change, wholesale change. And I think that starts with the attitude of understanding versus agreement. So those are my closing remarks for the formal show. And uh, I absolutely look forward to getting back uh, to the conversation and once we get into the after show. Most definitely, as always, I appreciate both of you gentlemen for embarking on this journey and having this conversation with me and with us, the listeners, and like we said, it is not over. Uh, we do have what we are called, what we call the after show, where we, 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 we unwind, we take the ties off, we loosen them up, we unbutton the top two buttons, ah. <laughs> and we pull up some more, and we really get into the real conversation. I liken it to the barbershop conversation. The conversation is never politically correct. Um, it is honest, open, and unfiltered, as it always will be. It is not uh, It's not performed. It is what it is. Um, but in terms of the topic for the evening and my closing remarks, I agree with everything that my brothers have said. I always uh, find common ground with them, whether I completely 100% uh, agree with them at all times. No, it's not supposed to be that way. 
we're three totally different people we are all different we are all individuals all of us have a unique fingerprint for a reason we're not supposed to be monoliths of each other or our culture or our ethnic backgrounds or our sexual preferences or whatever people want to put you into a box to be you do not have to get into that box cardboard is easy to tear especially when you make it wet you can be the person that brings up microaggressions and I'm not gonna be the one to tell you to always bring it up but if it is crossing one of your boundaries that's one thing we all need to do individually is find your boundaries create them let yourself be known that these are my boundaries these are my non-negotiables and when these or infringed upon or frowned upon or disrespected or uh, shied away from or overlooked I will make my stand I will make my voice be known and you have every right to but just understand that you have to give that same respect to someone on the other side so if someone else has a strong hard boundary that goes against something that you have said or done you have to understand and be willing and open-minded enough to have that conversation and not let discourse and disagree let discourse become disagreement to where progression stops we'll continue the conversation in the after show and I'm gonna bring up a point and we'll you know like I said it, it, it's gonna go along the lines of the Jamel Hill uh, scenario I won't call it a situation or a fiasco because it's it's kind of blown over at this point, but it, it 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 brought up a great conversation. But as always, we appreciate you all for embarking on this journey with us at the Brethren Podcast. Make sure you're following us across all our social media uh, at Brethren Pod on Instagram and Facebook. That's B R E A D R E N P O D. Make sure you like and subscribe. The website will be coming soon. We got T-shirts for sale. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, CastBox, anywhere you get your podcast from, we on there. And if we're not on there, shoot us an email and let us know. You can find all three of us at our individual web domains. You can find me at mmbbgw.com. You can find Destrian Wells at dwellsconsulting.com. You can find Dr. Loving, Ph.D. of Loving Consulting, LLC, at ajamuloving.com. Once again, this is us at the Brethren Podcast. That's B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N, because we're always talking about our bread and we're always getting bread. Stay tuned to the after show. We love you all, and we out.